He said, These seven new lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Okay. And um, so, and Abraham stayed in that land for a while. Verse 34 goes on to say, so here's, here's Abraham. This is the first encounter we see at Beersheba. And it's in the patching up of the relationship between Abraham and this ruler called Abimelech here, king of Gerar, and they, they come to this agreement, and Abraham worships there and names it Beersheba. And so Beersheba takes on some particular significance because it is the place of a covenant that led to peace, with Abraham and the people around him or at least the leadership that would help guarantee the peace and he actually in verse in this chapter we see he lived there for a time and sojourned there and then uh, we see as we go on that his son Isaac begins moving from place to place he quarreled with some locals Uh, there was a famine in the land so Isaac too finds himself in Gerar And Isaac, too, has this brilliant plan to make sure that he's not killed because of his beautiful wife to take her away from him. And it doesn't work so well again. This time, uh, Abimelech sees them together and challenged Isaac, saying, hey, it's obvious she's not your sister. And uh, Abimelech chooses to protect Rebekah and... Isaac just, as promised by God previously, just flourishes in the area and he prospers greatly. And so Abimelech comes to say, you're too powerful, go away. And that takes us over to Genesis 26, 23 through 25. But I'm going to tell you, we've been talking about Abimelech. And we're about 90 years later in the story with Isaac from the time of Jacob and Abimelech. So the question comes up. Well, how can that be? And there's a couple of possibilities. Maybe Abimelech is very old, in our standards at least. Uh, Maybe he knew both uh, Abraham and Isaac. Uh, The other possibility is that Abimelech is a title. That's for, just to throw a name out there, that's the path John MacArthur goes down. He says it must be a title for the king of Gerar. I don't know for sure which is which. The scriptures don't lay it out. It's one of those two. But here is another meeting with Abimelech and now Isaac. And so let's read Genesis 26, 23 through 25. And there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Sorry, I got one step ahead of myself. 
this is the arrival of Jacob at Beersheba. And you can see something special goes on between God and Isaac there at Beersheba because God appeared to him. And it was uh, in the night, he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, don't fear, I'm with you. I'm going to multiply you and your descendants for the sake of Abraham, meaning my promise that transferred from Abraham to you, to fill my promises to Abraham, as well as the promises to you, Isaac, because they transferred to you, uh, you're, you're going to prosper. And so at Beersheba, again, here is Isaac building an altar, and he called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and they dug a well. Now let's go over to Genesis 28, verse 10. So we were with Isaac, now we're with Jacob, 28.10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And so at this point, Jacob is leaving from Beersheba, which is where the family is now at, and he leaves for Haran. So where did Isaac wind up settling? Beersheba. And so Jacob is leaving from Beersheba, and so that's where he goes. And then when he comes home in 46.1, when I say he comes home, he's come back, and now all of the events with Joseph and his sons and the troubles that they had with living in, in the land of Canaan, they have decimated a city because of their uh, settling their revenge for Dinah, and all of those things have gone on. And now Jacob is settled um, in the Haran area, but on his way he stops in Beersheba, and it's a little bit like coming back to a very special place. And it's easy to see why he would stop in Beersheba. There's been a lot that's gone on there. Uh, two different covenants, one with Jacob, I'm sorry, one with Abraham, one with Isaac, as well as it's been a center of worship, and so Jacob, too, stops there to worship as his first stop on the way to Egypt. And so if we go back to chapter 46, verse 1, we see that Jacob offered a sacrifice at Beersheba uh, to the God of his father Isaac. Got a little bit of home thought coming in there. This is where I, where I left when I left for Haran. And this is... Um, uh, home to where my family was. It's also a place where wells were dug and covenants were made and worship has occurred in the past. So both physically and spiritually, it's a place where he can go back to his roots. Get back here to Genesis 46. In verse 2, it says that God spoke to Israel, Jacob, uh, in the visions of the night. And that vision of the night is an interesting phrase. We might think, well, here's a dream. And maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was something more than that. Maybe it was something less than that. But God spoke to him, regardless of the mechanism that's going on. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And, of course, Jacob responds, here I am. And God then establishes who he is again. And he said, I am God, the God of your father, 
Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you. I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. So there's a lot in there. Um, why might Jacob have been fearful about going to Egypt? What might have been the things that caused him to hesitate if he doesn't think about the fact that Joseph is there and so on? What's the downside potentially? Enslavement. Yeah, what's really going to happen to us? What else? That's a good answer. Probably war. Yeah. Between the Egyptians and them. Because yeah, could, could, you know, could animosity develop? Well, God's guided him so far. God has... And kept him within Canaan. So if they leave that, are they leaving God's promise? Uh, God's promise is a potentially a big deal here. Um, and there, there's a lot to, to talk about within God's promise. Because what did Jacob do that set him at odds with his dad and his brother? What did Jacob do? He stole the birthright. I mean, he went through a lot to get that birthright. And a part of that birthright that Isaac had to give was the promise. And so you've got to be thinking in the back of your mind, God has said this sojourned area of Canaan is an inheritance for the descendants of Abraham. And if he's thinking about that, it, how is this leaving going to, going to work out? Um, and so that's a piece of it. Um, other reasons that he might have that things that if it weren't for God's sovereignty and somebody picked up like that and moved to Egypt what kinds of potential problems might that have created within their heritage and inheritance there's a lot of other gods there. a lot of other gods intermarrying you know you, you can become lost um, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me when I was growing up, because on my dad's side of the family in particular, um, they came from Sweden, and their name wasn't Vilander when they came over, and you can start an argument, was it Anderson or Johnson, if you get the right people together, and then just sit back and watch them go at it. You used to be able to do that. They tell me I never actually saw that. But anyway, we, we only lost track of that heritage, but we can't even agree on what the name was when they came over from Sweden. Now that's the name when I asked, so I got interested in heritage, you know, in school you study about the immigration and clearly, you know, we're part of an immigration uh, group that's that through, through the uh, history of time. And so you start asking questions and my mother was a Stuart and that was an English name and they were all pretty much English people and knew the other Englishmen that went back a generation or two or three. Um, on the other side of the family, the name is Swedish, but a lot of German influence. Vatauers were a big part of my heritage. So anyway, it was interesting to ask questions. But you say, well, so in terms of just bloodlines, am I mostly English or German or sweet? What am I? And you know, well, you know, and it's just lost. I mean, I'm just one of the many mongrels in this nation, and I'm okay with that. I don't care. But it was 
and satisfying those youthful curiosities, it's, it's lost. That kind of thing is a potential for these descendants of Abraham. You know, we're, we're the promise. The promise was to Abraham and his offspring. And when you go to a country as powerful and as uh, big in size as Egypt and all the influences, things can happen in the, in the census of the world. But here is God saying to Jacob, no, don't, don't have any fears as you go to Egypt. And this is very significant because I'm going to make you a great nation there. What did God just tell Jacob? Well, he told him move, but what did he say about becoming a nation? And I realize you could put the word great in front of it, but... He's reinforcing the fact that they're going to be a nation. They're going to be a nation. They're not going to get lost in whatever kind of a melting pot Egypt might have had. They're, they're, they're going to be formulated. It's going to be part of the forming of them as a people to be in Egypt. And furthermore, just as God did functionally with Joseph, because everywhere he went he prospered. Why? God was with, God was with him. In this case, not only is he going to be there functionally, but he tells Jacob, I will go down with you. That's more than just, you know, I'll, I'll go along, I'll, you know, I'll be down there, you, you know, whatever. It's going to, going with him means the blessing goes with him, the power of God goes with him, the sovereignty of God's a part of this. Don't be afraid to go. And not only that, I will surely bring you up again and Joseph will close your eyes. Now, does this mean that he is going to bring Jacob as a living man back home? Well, we know that it doesn't. What he means is when I say I will bring you, I will bring Israel, I will bring your descendants, I will bring the nation out of you that's formed as a part of the promise back out of Egypt. And the other thing is, you will be there you will be with Joseph at the time of your death. That's what it means, the closing of your eyes. And so God gives him a great promise in this vision and basically sets the stage for knowing with certainty that it's a safe thing, it's a good thing, it's a part of God's plan to go. The direct recipient. Exactly. I mean, the, the, the complete fulfillment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it would be... So much in the Old Testament, we do get what people are thinking, and then other times we don't. And that's probably true in the New Testament as well. But So there, there's some, there, is a, there, there isn't a full explanation of what Jacob was thinking about everything, but I don't think there's any question that Jacob understood he was a child of the promise. I think the dream that he had on the way to the promised land, the promised land, sorry, on the way to Haran, to his ancestors, to find Rachel, as it turned out, uh, I don't think there's any question he realized that there's something going on here. I also think when he wrestled with God coming back, I, I think he had to know 
these promises are alive and they're alive in me. God gave him those kinds of indications. When he left Canaan, he made a vow to God, if you will see me through this, I will come back and I will worship you. And he remembered that. And he did come back. And so I don't know what Jacob might have been thinking here. I mean, frankly, um, this is that classic thing, you know, you put you put the cup of water out here and then you build a fire all around the web person that you want to go get it, you know. That's where Jacob's at. He's got a fire built all around him. There's no food. I mean, it doesn't look like survival outside of a miracle is possible. And here is the lost Joseph, who's now king of, not king of, but ruling in Pharaoh's place over all of Egypt. And he really doesn't have a lot of choice, but he may have had some real second thoughts about, am I violating a covenant I made with God? I mean, he, it's a promise. You bring me back to Canaan, I'm going to serve you. Well, now I'm leaving Canaan. I mean, all those things I think are real possibilities. And so I, th I do think those things are on his mind. And I think that's why God made it clear to him, go, I'm with you. This isn't a separation from me. This is, this is you moving within my sovereign will for you. And I don't know if he would have used exactly those words, but I, I think it's very clear that's what God wants to make sure he understands and take away any of those misgivings. Now, that's, I said, when I hear myself saying I think a lot, makes me nervous because it's not what I think that matters it's what does the scripture say or do the scripture say and uh, so anyway but it does seem clear that that's what's going on good good question any other questions or comments so far so Jacob in the night has this night vision and then in verse 5 Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father to Jacob they carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So the sons are taking this responsibility. They're using their, their, the wagons that were sent. They're, they're getting the family in motion to go to Egypt. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Egypt Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and so as they go, uh, do you think this was a lot of stuff? Um, if Let's go back and look at Genesis 36, 6 through 8. This is after Jacob has come and settled in Canaan again. Uh, he's met Esau. They seem to be, they were on friendly terms. Things are going well between them for all practical appearances at least. And we see these words in Genesis 36, 6 through 8. Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. 
So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Esau. So if they had a TV show in this era called, which is a way old show now, you know, The Lives of the Rich and Famous, these guys would be it, wouldn't they? They were both in southern Canaan. Uh, Esau south of Jacob, according to when they met, where Esau wanted to go, and Jacob wound up going back to going to the Hebron area. Um, <clears throat> these two guys had so much in the way of livestock that they could not together make it work in southern Canaan. And so Esau moves on to the area further south uh, that would become to be called Eden. And so um, when, we, when we think about them moving, we're moving somebody that at one point, now we don't know what this drought might have done. The flocks probably were smaller and so on. But at one time, <clears throat> it took... The southern Canaan wouldn't support these two guys. They had too much stuff, too many animals to graze. And so this is not going to be a small undertaking to move what these people have acquired. <coughs> and so we see him moving to Egypt. Now, I gave you a handout to look at verses 8 through uh, 27 um, with and I, I think we ought to read it but I had trouble as I read it it just kind of starts being like the fence post going down the road they kind of start moving by each other and so I, I, I hope this is accurate uh, I will tell you the last time I did this kind of a thing a spell checker hates names out of the Old <laughs> Testament and I think, I hope, I went through it a couple times, I hope I caught all the errors, but you may indeed find some left that I didn't catch. So let's read, and this is, whoever reads this, thank you. There's names. That's all it is, is names for all practical purposes. But let, I'll tell you what, I'll read verses 8 through 27. I promise to read many of the names incorrectly. Okay, all right. But I'll read this for us. It, you may be able to use what my handout to kind of help sort out who's related to who and what the relationship is. The indentation I've got on the far outside left are the sons of Jacob. The next one in is their children. On occasion, we get grandchildren, so they're that third, third one in. So let, let me read this for us. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanok and Palu and Hezron and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jamuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jachin and Zoar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath and Merai, the sons of Judah, Er and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And remember that whole story, don't you? It's Genesis 36, not 16. Oh, sorry. 
I didn't check that, I guess. All right. Um, and the sons of Perez were Herzon, were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puvah, and Aab, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon, and Jahil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphon and Haggai, Shuni and Esbon, Eri and Erodi and Erli. The sons of Asher, Imnah and Ishva and Ishvi and Beriah, their sister Sarah. And the sons of Beriah, Herber and Malkiel. Did I get that right, Herbert and Malkiel? I'd have to look, I'd look later, see if I got that right. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these 16 persons. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now Joseph, in the land of Egypt, bore Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On bore to him. The sons of Benjamin, Bela and Becher and Ashbel and Gera and Naaman, Ehi and Rosh, Muppam and Huppam and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There were 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim and the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel and Guni and Jezer and Shalem. These are the sons of Bilah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel. And she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. And so there were 66 in that group of descendants that came to Egypt. So where did we get to 70? Well, we didn't count Jacob himself. We didn't count Joseph because he was already there. And then his two sons make the other four to bring you to 70. Was the group larger than that? Absolutely. This is just limited to the ones that for whatever reason Moses cared to list. Now most of the reason is they were the sons and grandsons. But occasionally a daughter gets thrown in. So I'm not sure what the entire exact situation was. It is interesting when you look at the sons of Jacob and when you look beyond that, particularly to the sons of the sons of Jacob, and maybe it was an age thing, but these weren't young people. I mean, Benjamin's the youngest, right? And Benjamin has what, nine children? Ten. Ten. Okay, ten. I didn't count them uh, right now. But there are many of these grandsons that are not, I mean, not mentioned. I mean, it's just... So, or great-grandsons maybe. Benjamin has children, but um, when you like Asher's children, only one of them has produced offspring that gets listed here. Levi's children, none of his sons produced offspring that are listed here. Simeon, same thing. Uh, so there was a lot of that next generation that 
I don't know if it was age, marriage, lack of marriage. I don't know why. It just surprises me that the youngest has 10 grandchildren for Jacob, and many of the others have none. It just just seemed interesting. Um, so we have the 70 moved, not including the wives, and they find themselves in Egypt. So when they get to Egypt, <clears throat> we start in, in verse 28. So if someone would read 28 through the rest of the chapter, I would appreciate that. <clears throat> He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to, in Goshen. And <clears throat> they came into the land of Goshen. <clears throat> then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds, and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, <clears throat> both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay, so when they get there, they send Jos Judah, Judah to Joseph. Why? We need to know how we get to Goshen. And so then uh, they arrive at Goshen. It's worthwhile to note Judah's continued prominence among the brothers. Um, he has been raised up. He's the one that's functionally leading. I'll, I'll even tell you that I get a, uh, when we get to chapter 49, uh, we'll be camping there a while because uh, in chapter 49, Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob is blessing his sons, and blessing might be a stretch of a word in some respects, but he's going to um, give them their birthrights. What are you going to be? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What's going to be your function in the family? And so on and so on. And that's going to be a great opportunity to look forward out to the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, and where they go. But Judah is continuing to come up in prominence or stay in prominence as the leader of the group, even though he's not the firstborn. He's the fourthborn, fourth or fifth. And, but can you imagine this trip? I mean, some of you, many of you probably at some point in your life with your family, either as a child with your parents or children with, with you or whatever, have been camping. And it's a challenge. I mean, they didn't have motorhomes, right? They had tents. And they had to stop and fix food. I mean, this was not going to be a low-labor trip so they're a big group they're not just camping they have brought their livestock with them and it's a different era not all the ground was fenced off 
but they've got to be good shepherds too. They've got to go from grassy area to grassy area. It probably had a little bit of the semblance unless they traveled it enough that they already knew because the brothers have been down this path a time or two. But a little bit like the old wagon train show where, well, go find water so we know where we're going next. I mean, there, there was a lot to this. And I imagine when they arrived in Egypt, it's like, okay, we need to know where we're going, but then just trying to settle. Can you imagine? Uh, moving's hard, isn't it? I hate moving, particularly if I become unsuccessful again at shaving off, chopping off great portions of stuff that should have been thrown away on the last move, right? But here they are bringing everything they had, and I'm not saying they didn't chop off stuff that they should throw away. They probably did a better job of that. But they've got a lot of stuff and a lot of people. They've got to figure out how are we going to settle. Where you know Now they've been camping a while, so they probably just set up camp. But I can just imagine the people responsible for the herds, and I can imagine the tensions that came about between the parents. I thought you said to tell them go that way. No, I told them to go this way. You know, I, just, I just imagine this unpacking was quite an ordeal. <clears throat> but, they, but Jacob, sorry, Judah gets the directions. They go up to Gershwin, or to Gershwin. They go up to Goshen. And then in verse 29, Joseph gets his chariot ready and he goes up to meet his father Israel. So they're finally here. He hasn't seen Jacob since the time he left that resulted in being sold into slavery. And when they meet, J Joseph falls on Jacob's neck and they wept for a long time. Can you imagine that reunion? Uh, a son that wondered what in the world happened to him. He said I, God, he knew God was with him and he was trusting God, but you know, it, it wasn't going well. I don't know what he expected to see J Jacob again or not. Here's Jacob thought his son was dead for a long, many years, and now he's actually able to see him and touch him. And so there they are in verse 29, letting those emotions out. Verse 30, Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face that you are still alive. <clears throat> That might not be the way we would say it today. Somebody put that in your own words. What is Israel, Jacob, saying here? Now let me die, for I've seen your face. Does he want to die right then? He's saying my life is complete. Yeah. I, I, it, it, I, I am now satisfied in my soul if I die now it'd be okay there isn't something left out there undone I, I don't I think it would be wrong to use the modern phrase bucket list but it has that kind of a flavor to it I had these things I wanted to do before I died is what that tends to mean and now I've done them I think the bucket list is a frivolous thing this is very important but but here is here he is going there, there's my soul is settled it's done. I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with whatever has, happens or doesn't happen. My life can be over and I won't feel like I was cheated or short on anything. And then in verse 31, Joseph gets his brothers, household, his brothers to his father's household to get them together. 
And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up and tell Pharaoh, and I'm going to say to him, my brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have now come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And Joseph is anticipating a response from Pharaoh. And what's the response he expects from Pharaoh? Yeah, he's going to want to talk to you all. We just moved a fairly large group of people into the land of Goshen, which is purported to be good land. And he's going to want to know who are these people that I just have moved over in mass that are related to Joseph. And he might want to know for lots of reasons, one of which might be his friendship with Joseph. I just want to meet your family and know who they are. But also, I promised them the best of Egypt. So I need to make sure that that's happening and they're comfortable. Now, Joseph feels it necessary, or at least he chooses to coach his family on how to respond. And when he says, what's your occupation, you will say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So Joseph is saying, focus on this answer. You're shepherds. You've always been shepherds. We're a family of shepherds. Shepherds are what my dad did. It's what I did. It's fathers doesn't mean just the one generation back. But we, that's just who we are throughout the time of our family. We're shepherds. And you might think a lot of different things on why somebody would coach you to tell somebody, Tell them this to improve your esteem or something like that. But why? So that we may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So Joseph wants them to be loathsome to the Egyptians? Why is this a good answer? Why is this really, frankly, in the sovereignty of God that they should give this answer. Keeps the nation separate. They're going to be separated. They're not going to be asking your sister out. She's a shepherd's sister. You know? And you're not going to be able to ask out some Egyptian girl. It's not going to happen. You're a shepherd. You are the scum to these Egyptians. Here's another reason. Apparently, and this is a little conjecture on my part, but apparently, this area of Goshen is where shepherds go to graze flocks. And you want to be in Goshen. That's what, Jay, I mean, clearly, so that we can be in Goshen. That's a goal that Joseph holds out. So we're going to get good land for our flocks. They're going to leave us alone. They're going to let us be who we are, and we can go about our business, and we can stay in this good area for what works well for us. Chris, I'm wondering if you had this uh, foresight on Joseph's part, knowing that the famine is going to become more severe, that he knows that this is lowland area, it's like very fertile, very moist. It's like going to be the, the best of the bad land, probably. What we see happen is that everyone else outside of the, uh, the river delta sells all of the yeah. to Pharaoh in order to sustain yeah, their life. Don't teach all the next oh, chapter yet. Yeah. No, that's fine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, when I read this, I think back to Jacob's night vision. I'm going with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And I think back, too, to Joseph's, the statements about Joseph. All the way through, everywhere he's at, God was with Joseph, and he prospered. And everything he did worked. And so I think what we're seeing here, I don't know how much of it's their cognitive thought. I think a lot of it. And how much of it is just God being with them. You need to be in Goshen. And God's, you're going to be in Goshen. You're going to be in Goshen. You're going to be in Goshen. And it's just over and over and over again in the last chapter and this chapter, Goshen's where they need to go. That's where they're going to go. And they're going to go there as shepherds, and they're going to be loathsome to the Egyptians. Well, I think that's, that's going to be a piece of it as well, certainly. I mean, you, when you separate a people off like that, you've got a lot of things. You've got culture. You've got, in their case, this was important. It's not an important piece anymore, but the, the racial piece, the, 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 the family of promise needs to stay the family of promise. And uh, so they're going to go. Now, we already have had some other outside people come in, right? into this family, but not very many, and they're going to basically stay descendants of Abraham as they live out their time here in, in Egypt. So yeah, I, I, the gods are a big part of it too. Um, I don't know. Um, in looking forward, what are we going to study next? I read through almost all of Exodus this last week, and it would be a great book. I'm not sure I'm up to teaching it. Um, and there's portions that's like, wow, these details would get a little cumbersome. But anyway, I'm looking at it. But when we skip over to, to Exodus, we don't get a lot of background about what happened in the 400 years. I mean, we start out with what's going on with a new pharaoh. I mean, we get a little bit. New pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph. Um, and, and so I don't know how these 400 years are really going to go but one thing that's clear the Egyptians when we get to the beginning of Exodus know who the Jews are when we get to the beginning of Exodus the Jews are viewed as a national asset and a national threat and so they try to manage the threat through pretty barbaric means if you ask me killing kids is never anything but barbaric and but they also manage the asset because they're building bricks, and they want bricks. Uh, Egypt is a land of great construction at that time. And, of course, then we get uh, Moses in the middle of all that and then all the things that go on with Moses. And w one reason I'm tempted to do Exodus is I read some things. I went, how many times have I read Exodus? And I never read that one line. Um, not going to go into that right now. But <clears throat> when, when we look at what's coming for this 400 and I think it's 440 years that they're going to be um, in Egypt from this point. Um, it's clear that God has kept them separate, and there isn't a lot of discussion about any foreign gods causing them problems. Um, I'll just say this, and then we'll finish this up. It is interesting, and I didn't know this. I also, in the course of looking at Exodus as a possibility, listened to some sermons and some other things on various pieces. And I listened to one of John MacArthur's sermons about the plagues. 
And every one of those plagues is just smacks one of their Egyptians' gods right between the eyes. And uh, th that's interesting. Um, so, I, maybe I shouldn't say everyone, but the bulk of them in one way or another are very much against the Egyptian gods, and they had plenty of them. So, he preps them up. This is the answer. There's another piece that we ought not forget about Joseph. Joseph has been for nine years in the government of Pharaoh. And I've only been in one big company, but there were, when you went to um, the bosses or the leadership, there were some unspoken protocols that you needed to know. This is how you answer questions. You don't bring in extraneous details. You, you know, there were just things that if you wanted to not find yourself in an awkward spot that you needed to know about how you were going to conduct yourself. I think there's a little bit of that too here. Joseph is one of the powers. He's number two man, or in some ways, number one man in, e in Egypt. And so I think he's giving them, Pharaoh knows he's the most important guy here, and you need to think about how you're going to respond to him, and that probably was important too. Any other questions or comments? I hadn't thought about it that way, but. <laughs> well, and, and so let's, that's a good question. Let's go back to um, what he does. Israel said, uh, no, no, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household. So he's got them all there when he's giving them the coaching. He already knows how his brothers might tell a lie thinking they're helping themselves out. I don't know if, he, if they're all aware of Jacob's heritage with the truth, uh, but my guess is who knows you best? Family. So he probably did have an idea that you guys have a tendency to get off topic and tell other tales. You're shepherds. You've always been shepherds. That's all you know is shepherds. Be a shepherd. He's coaching them, not, not necessarily because it's a, it's the truth, but also because it's like Ted Turner saying, I'm just a farmer. Yeah. Like, you know, I own some land, right? It's Ted Turner moving moving to uh, Egypt. It's, no, you're just, you, you are a farmer. That is, you know, that's true. But also, if you say you're a farmer, you're not a threat to the existing social social structures and all that stuff as well. So, yep. I don't know. There's another alternative motive here. If you're not going to intermingle with the people, how do you get? You get separated. So Shechem, the land of Goshen, becomes this separate entity that's there in Egypt. So Joseph is actually setting up vis-a-vis -vis the way he tells them to present themselves and the fact that he says the Egyptians hate shepherds, yep. right? despises them. He's setting them apart. He's setting them to a place apart, which in fact will end up work to keep them isolated and sure. that promise of developing growing up. Well, and there's also something to set the right expectations. Don't be shocked when he goes, oh, you're shepherds? Okay, well, you can have Goshen. <laughs> have a good day. You guys can go now. I mean, 
don't waste my time. Yeah, don't waste my time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're you're, you're right, Barry. There, that's out there, and and very well could be a piece of this. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't go well. It's no longer a peaceful relationship. Uh, Yeah. And when I read through Exodus last week, this last week, I didn't, I didn't go back and look up all the people involved all the way through, but it was real clear that most of those tribes that they came up against, they're relatives. I mean, they're, they're not just foreign people. I mean, they'd be over 400 years, they'd become that to some extent, but these are all descendants of relatives. Now there are Canaanites, and and they're relatives. I mean, everybody's relative. We want to go back and talk about Noah, right? But so they're relatives too, but not in the same way. Many of those tribes are descendants of pretty close relatives: Esau, Ishmael. So yeah, listen, I'm taking your time. I appreciate it. That's a good point, Dave. I mean, yeah, it. It's a yeah. They were never going to get along again. That was, that was clear. Let's pray. Father, um, your sovereign hand at work is still at work today with no less intensity, no less love, no less grace, uh, no less redemption than what we see here. Uh, Lord, let us, as we look at the events surrounding us, think about these events and realize that your sovereignty is the greatest blessing to any man that they could have, particularly when we're in the household of God through the grace of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, buying us out of slavery to Satan. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for the lessons we're seeing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.